good. You can do it. There we go. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Hi, folks, and welcome to Open the Iris. I'm Rick, and with me, as always, is Ro. How you doing? Good. You have a lot of energy today. <laughs> <laughs> I took a whole Ambien last night and got a good night's sleep, so... <laughs> Good sleep. What's that like? Sleep is sleep is is yeah. <laughs> so folks, I hope y'all are are doing well, staying safe, staying unplagued, getting vaccinated as soon as you can, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, tonight we are going to talk about episode three of season five of Stargate SG One called Ascension, aired July thirteenth, two thousand one, IMDb rating of seven point eight. Written by Robert C. Cooper, who wrote approximately 60 episodes of SG-1 and also directed and or produced a whole bunch more uh, and was directed by Martin Wood. So here we go. Strap in, folks. (laughs) We open on a gorgeous matte painting of a destroyed alien city. SG-1 are investigating. Daniel is trying to decipher a large rectangular pillar, pillar, not pillow, pillar, with writing on it, as Jack tells him that SG-16 are coming with a UAV. Teal'c postulates that the civilization that used to live here must have done, must have lost a great battle with no survivors. Daniel is puzzled by the pillar. Ooh, I wish I hadn't written that quite that way. (laughs) Daniel is puzzled by the pillar, since it doesn't seem to match the rest of the technology in the city, and ponders the age of it. But Jack is impatient to get out of there. Sam is working on something else that's very advanced, and Jack tries to hurry her along, too. He admonishes her not to turn it on, then goes to investigate the city with Teal'c. Sam opens a panel full of crystals and rubs her eyes in obvious fatigue. A breeze tussles her hair, and we switch to a POV of something or someone looking at Sam from above. We switch back to a normal view of Sam, then back to the whatever it is, which suddenly moves right at Sam. Outside, there's a flash in the room that Daniel doesn't see because he's facing the other direction, but he calls out to Sam. When she doesn't answer, he runs in and finds her unconscious on the ground. Daniel calls for Jack to get back there immediately, and we go back to the credits. In the SGC, Dr. Frazier is checking Sam out, and the diagnosis is exhaustion. Here's 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 a tip, folks. When you're reading something you wrote, don't look ahead a few words when you're reading the words that aren't there yet. (laughs) (laughs) The diagnosis is exhaustion, (laughs) which Sam strongly objects to. By the way, the Sam Janet slash fic just ramped up to 11 in this scene. In the briefing room, Daniel is explaining that the pillar he was working on and the oddly gun-like thingy Sam was working on is only 400 years old, while the civilization of the planet was far older than that, indicating that someone or something gave them advanced technology, i.e. a Stargate. Hammond is curious as to what it is, and Daniel says it might just be Wait, oh no, the thingy. Hammond is curious as to what the gun-like looking thingy is. And Daniel says it might just be an observatory, but Jack is convinced it's a, quote, big honking space gun. But Daniel points out that the Gawuld would have taken a space gun. Sam comes in and says whatever it is, the power core is gone. Colonel Reynolds, who has been taking notes on a very military looking laptop, asks Sam for some clarification. Colonel Reynolds, we've seen him before, but like he's 
he's now there as a thing. He'll be here for a while now. Uh, and Hammond explains that he's there from Area 51 to lead SG-16 on their long-term analysis of the planet. Sam starts to explain that she thinks a Naquita generator can be connected to the device, to the device. But Jack shuts her down, saying that SG-16 has it now. Hammond says that until they know what the device does, no one will be turning it on. Sam asks to join SG-16 and is told that although Daniel will be working on translating the alien language on the pillar, SG-1 is, until further notice, on vacation. Sam objects and is ordered to, quote, take it easy. We cut to Sam going home. She has a nice car and a nice house and is not doing nothing very well. As she makes herself some dinner, we switch to the alien floating POV that is watching Sam. Sam brushes her teeth, wearing just enough to hint that the suits at Showtime wanted her to be wearing a lot less. Then she goes to bed. We see the classic horror trope of a humanoid shadow behind her that disappears when she looks. Then we see the POV thing watching her sleep. Creepy. <laughs> the next morning, a fully dressed Sam goes outside to get her paper. Ask your folks what that is, kids. And Eddie Vedder is there making small talk. Sam is understandably weirded out and goes inside. She locks the door and goes into her house and calls Daniel on the biggest cordless phone ever made. He has nothing to tell her, and he encourages her to take it easy. <laughs> she hangs up, turns around, and Grunge Boy is in her kitchen. He tells her that he has been in her house all night, but he was invisible. But after reading her books and watching TV, he learned how to speak to her and what to wear, and that he used to look as he does now before his ascension. Sam is very freaked out and confused and tries to phone for help, but the phone isn't working. He assures her he's not crazy, and she angrily asks who he is. He says his name is Orlin, and he followed her home from the planet she was just on through the Stargate. She says that's impossible, then he walks through the counter while telling her he can become invisible when he's not corporeal. She asks what he wants, and he starts to profess his love for her, then she runs away. <laughs> almost has an actual facial expression as we cut to a crew in hazmat outfits are scanning, sniffing, scoping, and setting up cameras in Sam's house. Jask, Jask, Jack, Jesus Christ. Jack is asking her about Orlin when, what he looks like, what he said, etc. He says the gate room cameras didn't pick up anything. And Sam says he claimed to be invisible at will. Their surveillance cameras are set in her house and Jack and the crew leave. After a montage of camera views of Sam doing normal Sam stuff with no Orlin appearing, Tilk, Daniel, and Jack chat about Sam's mental state. By the way, did you notice that there's a camera trained on her bed, for Christ's sake? Yes. Yeah. At least they didn't show the bathroom cam. Um, <laughs> uh, Tilk, Daniel, and Jack chat about Sam's mental state. Then Daniel reveals that the thing on the planet is indeed a big honking gun. The pillar says that one day they were attacked by the quote unquote threat from the skies and that somehow then they somehow learned to make the weapon and used it to drive off the Goa'uld. Jack asks what happened to cause the devastation on the planet, if not the Goa'uld, and Daniel does not know. Back at Sam's house, the cameras are gone. Sam had a psyche val and Orlin's back. He says he was on Valona, the planet, for hundreds of years before Sam showed up. So when he saw her, he tried to communicate in his non-corporeal way, not so much telepathy as an exchange of spirit, but she wasn't ready and that's why she passed out. He says he learned about her, how her heart is pure and she's as beautiful on the inside as out. Sam's about had enough and God, Sam's had about enough of this and goes to call the hazmat guys back, but Orlin says he'll just hide again. She asks what he wants and he says he wants to try to meld with her again. 
that he thinks she can handle it. She asks if he'll go to the SGC and turn himself in if she agrees, and he says no, but he'll leave if she wants. For some reason, she agrees. She closes her eyes, and he goes all glowy, and after a few seconds, the glow goes away, and Sam opens her eyes and says, Oh my god. At the SGC, Sam finds Jack to show him the surveillance device that was forgotten in her house and wants to know why she's still being watched. Jack is sympathetic, but says no one else is seeing what she's seen. She then asks Jack as her superior officer she then asks Jack as her superior officer that in the hypothetical situation where an alien could and did only allow Sam to see him, should she probably gather all the intel she could and even try to isolate said alien before making a report? Jack says, yeah, in theory, she should. And Sam leaves. <laughs> Later, Sam and Daniel are in her lab in a scene that I think probably was edited out of sequence. She's been tasked by Hammond to figure out how to power the weapon on Valona. She says she can use an Aquita reactor, but it will have to be overloaded, and then the overload shunted into the weapon, so once the process is started, there won't be any way to shut it down. She and Daniel agree that this is probably a bad idea. That night, Sam gets home, and Orlin has set up candles and dinner, which surprises Sam because he can't touch stuff. Except now he can. He gave up his ascendedness to be with her. At that moment, Jack and Tilk show up with pizza and Star Wars. But Sam makes it clear she's not alone. So Jack and Tilk leave the pizza and go off on their own to find a place where humans do battle in a ring of jello. As they drive off, we see an ominous van parked across from Sam's house. Sam and Orlin are having a romantic dinner of bread and wine and absolutely nothing else. Uh, they had pizza, that, though. Freaking O'Neill dropped off the pizza. I just want to look at, <laughs> we'll, we'll continue on that one. They also had gigantic wine glass. I never understood this, having a huge wine glass and then putting half an inch of wine in the bottom of it. Anyway, uh, and Sam, mentioned, Sam mentions Oma DeSala from Maternal Instinct, Season 3, Episode 20, as someone who can do the same glowy stuff and was helping people ascend. Orlin says he's never heard of her, but if she was helping people, then that's then she's probably banished like he is, which is why he'd never heard of her. The Ascended have a sort of prime directive not to accelerate the ascension process and others. He was on Valona when the Goa'uld attacked, and rather than let them die, he gave them the knowledge to build the big honking space gun. Unfortunately, after they drove off the Goa'uld, they planned to use the new tech to conquer other worlds. The others, his people, decided to wipe out the planet and exile or or and exile Orlin to stay there. But now he's mortal and can't reascend without the help of the others. But he's content to see if anything develops between him and Sam. As they are talking, we see inside the ominous van where every word is being recorded. Back in the SGC briefing room, Colonel Reynolds is saying that Colonel F is saying to Colonel Frank Simmons, a.k.a. Q, that they should be able to be ready to test the weapon in a week. Sam and Daniel strongly ca uh, suggest caution, but Simmons condescendingly reminds them of the dangers they're trying to defend the Earth against. Then Sam says she believes that the weapon caused a weather anomaly big enough to destroy the civilization on 636, which is what they call Valona, a statement that takes everyone by surprise. Hammond asks if she has evidence, and she says no, but she needs to do a more in-depth study. Reynolds starts to object when Hammond gives her two weeks to find the evidence and ends the meeting. Simmons reminds Hammond that the Pentagon has the ultimate say over when or if the weapon is fired, 
and Hammond reminds Simmons about the red phone on his desk, so STFU and GTFO. Simmons grins in bemused amusement. At home, Sam, looking good in her mom jeans and leather jacket, is presented with a giant emerald by Orlin, who figured out it's her birthstone. It's the size of her palm, and he apologizes, saying the pictures he found were not great on showing scale. Oh, and Sam will need a new microwave. Sam says she needs to talk to him about something, and they go for a walk. Later, he says his people will know if the weapon is activated, and Sam asks if they'll take self-defense into account. He points out that many of the creators of the A-bomb were making it in self-defense, and he can't take that chance. They agree they have to stop the test, but aren't sure how without exposing Orlin. He then points out that Sam likes him a lot, and she doesn't argue. Back in Cheyenne Mountain, Sam is called into Hammond's office, and Jack tells her they're testing the weapon. Hammond got his orders from the president directly. SG-16 is on the planet setting up the Naquita generator. Sam argues that she had two weeks, and Simmons, who was lurking off camera, says it's been nine days and Sam hasn't done any atmospheric research whatsoever, but there have been some suspicious deliveries to her house. Sam doesn't know what he's talking about, and he reads off a list of materials that was at Area 51 back a few hundred thousand that were all ordered online from her computer. I don't remember. This was, when when was this? Uh, 2000? Oh, no, we'll get into that later. Go ahead and continue. Continue. I'm going to talk about this. Okay. Uh, Okay. Uh, Sam says they... um, He then shows her a picture of the person who has been accepting these deliveries... And it's Orlin. Sam says they have been watching her, and Hammond says not them, the Pentagon. Hammond is pissed about it, and Simmons says they have tapes of her conversations with the alien. He asks her what's going on, and Jack says she doesn't have to answer anything, and that he told her to collect data on the alien. Simmons says she's not in trouble, but he has a team closing in on her house that will take Orlin into custody. At her house, the place is surrounded with black SUVs, and Reynolds tells them that the suspect is inside. Oh, wait, no, sorry, I was incorrect. That's not Reynolds, it's just a guy. (laughs) I didn't have time to go back and fix that. Uh, At her house, the place is surrounded with black SUVs, and a sergeant or something tells them that the suspect is inside but not responding. Jack suggests that Sam go in, she can convince Orlin to come out. And Simmons says, give her a radio, and agrees. In the dark house, why no one turn the lights on, I don't know, Orin calls her into the basement where he's working with the breaker panel and jumper cables. He built a one-use Stargate, and she's going to have a pretty big credit card bill this month. Oh, and she'll need a new toaster. The special forces go in, Orlin activates the gate and jumps through, and Sam follows. On on Valona, SG-16 is almost ready to start the weapon. Orlin tries to stop them and gets shot in the arm by Reynolds until Sam runs up and tells them that Orlin isn't a threat and to stop the test. But it's too late. He already started the reactor, and if they don't let it finish, it will explode. Good, says Orlin, and runs toward the the device. Reynolds shoots him several times, but Orlin manages to disconnect the cables before falling to the floor. The weapon shuts down, but the reactor is building up to explode. Orlin tells Sam that he has to go. The others are giving him another chance, and it's the only way he can save her. He goes all glowy and grabs the reactor and flies it up into the sky where it blows up real good. Then a lightning bolt destroys the weapon once and for all. Sam is shaken and on the edge of tears. As we roll credits. Oh, okay. There was not a spare freaking moment in this whole goddamn episode. Yes, you could have been, but like, so the Suki goes, falls in love with Carter, and yeah, there's a bomb. 
Uh, I was planning. I was like, there's going to be whole scenes that I can just kind of skip over. But everything he said was important. (laughs) No, that's true. Like, there's a lot going on with these others. And apparently we're going to see them again. And I totally did not realize until today that that's Sean Patrick Flannery. As Orlin. <laughs> what, what's he from? Or, I mean, I, I looked at his IMDb and I hadn't really seen him in anything he's else. Boondock Saints. That's pretty much what he's known for. And like Suicide Kings. Boondock. Okay. Boondock. That's, is that the Tarantino movie with Mr. Pink and Mr. Black? No, no, no. That's Reservoir Dogs. Boondock I always Saints, get those two mixed up. Boondock Saints is the one by Troy Duffy. And it's basically two Irish. Are they Irish brothers? No, two, yeah, two Irish Catholic brothers are vigilantes in Boston. And also has Willem Dafoe in it. And it's really great. I've never seen that. <laughs> no, that's fair. But no, that, it's cool that that was there. Um, freaking Q. Yay, John Delancey. I was like, yeah, yeah. he's still working. Yay, work, work, work. So, and we will see him again. I, I, fig- I figured as much. I'm like, he's too, he's too prolific. Well, <laughs> to, and well known to you know he's gonna be a repeat character, but I really enjoy the fact that Reynolds sort of had his name on his laptop with some weird look like a date I don't know could be some in like a thing, but like just the fact that his name was just all over that laptop, which probably could be standard issue for that sort of stuff, but it, was, it kind of like threw me off of it. But um, how much in trouble is Carter going to be? Even though they you said earlier at the Pentagon said that she's gonna be okay. I think she's going to be in a lot of trouble. I don't know. that. I, I think she should be, at least. She should be? Uh, is she going to be? No. <laughs> so, I thought about that, too. So, we, we're talking about 100 pounds. Let's talk about price. <laughs> we have 100 pounds of raw titanium, 200 feet of fiber optic cable, and 700K watt capacitors. And this is in 2001. So, yeah. So, <laughs> A Google search tells me in 2003, titanium was $15 a pound. So we're going to go by $15 a pound. So 100 pounds of raw titanium times 15, that's what, 15000 Yeah, no, $1,500. That's okay. all. Huh. That's not bad, but then you have to have it delivered. Yeah, and but the fiber optic cable, that's where it's going to mess you up. Like, like, like I think it's, um, depending upon how many strands it is, it runs from, like, easily a couple K a feet a foot. And I would imagine a 700 watt capacitors. That's not cheap either. So, but still, that's gonna be a the, pretty the, big okay. deal. Yeah, the, the titanium is cheaper than I thought it would be. Yeah. The the actually the fiber optic cable isn't that it wasn't that big a deal in because I I bought a shitload of that stuff in 1996 okay. for a show. It's it's not that bad. Um, but yeah, 700 watt capacitors. That's some major shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so no, uh, it, it's, I, I was kind of curious, like, you know, so how much was it? So I guess it wasn't too bad, but. but yeah. I don't remember, now, I, I, you know, odd as it may sound, given that I freaking live in the internet now, uh, I was kind of a late comer to the internet, mm-hmm. but I don't remember e-commerce, uh, for lack of a better term, being that big of a thing in 2001 i i thought it really didn't kick in until a lot later I, probably maybe a year or two later really but no online ordering was still there but for very um certain things more niche so there's a possibility mm. that he was able to find people at least find their contact information and call them and order i don't know but okay. or, or maybe it, it sounded really high tech at the time yeah yeah uh, that could be yeah, it's, it's me, but so 
Things I want to point out here, Carter and I have to have the same birth month. Yay, May. Well, there's, you know, there's a there's a bit of a controversy about that. Really? As I was looking through trivia, Orlin gives Sam an emerald as her birthstone, suggesting she was born in May. However, she was actually born in December, but she was also born on October 17th, according to the episode Entity, when her personnel file was displayed. So. <laughs> okay, so that's... We, we must be in a different alternate timeline, so we'll go... So, I'm going to go with Emerald, because that is the most... Because it's cool. Because emeralds are cool. Okay. And, yeah, I'm going with May, so deal with it. Okay. I like the fact that Orlin literally MacGyvered a Stargate. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, the, the ramifications of that is kind of scary, because the Pentagon now has control of that. And, like, what are they going to do? They're going to, like, make little mini Stargates? But I don't know. I don't think... I would, I would well, he imagine. said it would burn up after being used, so I doubt uh, it was there was anything useful left in it. Hopefully not, because just they're just up to shady stuff at the Pentagon all the time. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh oh yeah. So, <laughs> just wait. <laughs> so well, let's talk about Tilk with a cowboy hat oh. and a flaming a black button shirt <laughs> with flames on it. I want to talk about that. Every time we see Teal'c in civilian attire, it's like the most awful, <laughs> inappropriate stuff. Is this ever. like, I, is this deliberate? <laughs> I, you know, I gotta wonder if it if it's the costume designers or if it was Christopher Judge going, I want to wear that. <laughs> yeah. If I was Teal'c, and I'd be like just wearing all this because like he doesn't know the culture, like you know, like what's normally common or uncommon among people of color. <laughs> Mm-hmm. United States, no, but no, but that, but no. In the South, there are black cowboys, so I'm not oh, gonna yeah, yeah. deny that. But his, I mean, the cowboy hat, I, I, am used to. But versus isn't Cheyenne Mountain in Colorado? Colorado, yeah, or Wyoming. Not much of a difference. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, Colorado kind of has has area, whatever. But yeah, yeah. But no, so yeah, Till Clad. I, well, I gotta good. say, I liked him better in the cowboy hat than the pork pie hat he was wearing. Uh, or not the pork, yeah, the pork pie hat we saw him in the last time he went civilian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I like. I don't mind the Jack Cousteau look either. But yeah, no. <laughs> but his, I, I will still always appreciate. My favorite one is the one where it's nineteen sixties, so sixty nine, right? That was the mm-hmm. episode where he had an afro. That was good times. <laughs> yeah. That was good times. But no. So I really appreciate that. And then, like, the little funny joke that Star like, Tilk has watched Star Wars nine times. And yeah. O'Neill has never watched it, which is understandable, but it's just kind of funny. Like, he's watched it nine times, which makes you wonder did Tilk watch the other Star Wars <laughs> back then? Like, in those early 2000s, that means he must have saw the, the prequel. <laughs> uh, maybe. Oh. Like, well, the prequel came out in 2000, in two, uh, 99 or 2000? I, th- I think it was 99. Yeah, so, well. Yeah, so, uh, hopefully he was not as disappointed as <laughs> most people were back then. <laughs> and and the, the reference to Jell-O wrestling. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I had completely forgotten that was a thing. Um, and I was kind of glad that I had completely forgotten that was a thing. Is it still not a thing? It may be, but it was, you know, there, there was a there was a, a time where it was like a punchline. Mm. And it was, you know, uh, mud wrestling and then jello wrestling. And it was always, you know, girls in bikinis. Oh, yeah. Wrestling OK, and, yeah, that, that cliche shit. OK. Yeah. OK. Yeah, no, but I, I really 
I like the little small things they have in regards to this episode. They got these little tiny fun things. There's a lot of good one-liners in there, but I really mm-hmm. appreciate tilting a cowboy hat and a flaming shirt. So <laughs> yeah. there that is. It, it was the shirt more than anything else. <laughs> so yeah, there, there's a whole wiki page about um, Samantha Carter family and relationships and how she's basically known as the black widow of sorts. Cause basically <laughs> any man who follows her ends up dying or something. <laughs> there was, okay. I don't know if I haven't looked it up, but we used to, we used to call it Cartwright's disease. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, if you go back to, did you ever see Bonanza? No. Okay. Uh, have, have you even heard of it? Yes. I, I heard of Bonanza. Okay. Bonanza was, was for, for those of you that don't remember, uh, or, or, or too young to know Bonanza was a show back in the sixties and seventies. It was a Western TV series. It starred, uh, Lauren green, who was, uh, commander Adama on the original Battlestar Galactica, Michael Landon in one of his first roles, who you would know from, uh, Oh, he played that angel. What, what was the Michael Landon show where he was an angel? touched by an angel? No. Yes. Touched no. by an angel? No. Highway to heaven. Yes, highway. Hi- highway to heaven. Uh, uh, and then Pernell Robertson and, uh, uh, oh, who the hell was us? Uh, anyway, none of you would know. These names don't mean anything to any of y'all. Uh, <laughs> but um, it took place, it was a, it was a Western, but it was like the, it, w- it took place, the, the Cartwright family. And it took place on their ranch, the Ponderosa, that mm-hmm. was just like, took up like half of Texas. And they were the good guys in a land full of bad guys kind of thing. Uh. Um, but it became a trope where if any of them fell in love with a woman, she would die by the end of the episode. <laughs> and so it became known as Cartwright's disease. Okay. That's <laughs> funny. That's a fun. Thank you for the history. I mean, the only thing I know about Bonanza is like, I think that dun, 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 Is that, that's the, it. That's, Bonanza. yes, that's, the I know the theme Bonanza, song. Yeah. I know the theme song. So there you go. And it's, you know, it's one of those shows that I've seen every episode of, but couldn't tell you anything about them because it was, they, you know, it was always on when I was a kid. And I was enjoyed watching it, and I would, I would, I would watch it today if it came on. And uh, you know, most people from my generation would recognize that music in a heartbeat. You know, yeah. uh, but it, you know, that that kind of TV trope of your main characters cannot ever get married. Uh, <laughs> so anyone that they hook up with beyond more than just a hookup, if it becomes serious, then the person they hook up with has to die. Uh, and you know, we had that with Kirk. And with later, you know, incarnations of Star Trek all the time, they either died or had to leave the ship for some reason. Uh, and Sam is is kind of the, the, the she has the Cartwright disease in, in SG-1. <laughs> oh, yeah, they call her the Black Widow on this wiki. So and then they list all the people, all the guys. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like you have like um, Nareem, Martouf, like slash Jolinar and mm-hmm. things like that. So I'm like, that's right. That's right. He just kept on. And like her former fiance in the season one where he went crazy. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's, but I was like, damn, I'm like, but still Carter, like look at her being all normal and stuff. It's like in her house. It's all like her house is too clean. Yeah. <laughs> there was definitely a creep factor the first time I watched this. I mean, there still is a creep factor when you watch it, but it was just like, really like, wow. You know, I think when I first saw this episode, I, it didn't really, click to me that much but you know over the past few years i have learned so much about the shit y'all as women deal with every day and i was laughing because like oh 
so frustrating. Just, just watching this, I'm like, what the actual fuck? And then when she agreed to let him meld with her? Yeah, well, she's probably. I would think the mostly thing to attribute to it is curiosity as a scientist, but at the same time, it's just, it's still fucking creepy and uh, uh, so fun. I mean, granted, she had seen him walk through the cat through the through the the, the counter at that point, so I guess there was a, a a stronger belief that actually he was telling the truth. But there is no way in hell she would have agreed to that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of yeah, I mean, privacy issues like that's just it's very sacred for you. Yeah, but no, I mean it was definitely a creep factor. And then the okay, I love the fact that yeah, he prepared bread and wine for her. There was where's the main course? And then when Jack dropped off the pizza, you gave him pizzas. Why were they not eating pizza? So <laughs> there's like this big hunk of bread on the plate, and it's just like this make they're just eating a big hunk of bread with no butter with a little bit of wine. And the reason why they you have big wine glasses, it's a little bit of it is because of the shape of the wine glass when you swirl it. In regards, like it releases flavors and stuff for like connoisseurs of wine in regards to smells and tastes. So that's that's why it, that is. But it's very bougie. And so okay. I'm lucky I don't drink wine out of goddamn paper cups <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, the, so, or the bottle. <laughs> it is what it is. But yeah. But no, that I mean, there's a lot to go on in this episode, but we have like introduction of new character, reoccurring characters. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, we'll see Reynolds again, and, we and definitely of, see Simmons again. I I was predicting there's gonna I predicted a lot of fuck shit's gonna happen from them, so yay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and other conflicts, but no, just. And and I'm I I'm not gonna spoil, but I am going to foreshadow just a bit. Okay. The events of this episode are very important to what is coming up. Ooh, interesting. Okay, it's mm-hmm. all good thing I paid attention to this episode. <laughs> no, I... <laughs> so you got a favorite quote? Yes, I do. Okay. Uh, I, I I love that uh, the the scene where uh, Sam and Daniel are saying, you know, we we don't know what this shit is, and we need to back off a little bit. Do we have the same says, quote? <laughs> and Simon says, "Do I need to remind you of the threats which we are? Wait a minute, do we need I remind you, Doctor Jackson, of the dangers we're trying to defend Earth against?" And Daniel goes. Oh, uh, could you? I, I mean, go slow. <laughs> yes, that's my quote too. <laughs> it was when I first heard that, I was laughing so hard because that <laughs> is me. That is me. If I know I'm not gonna have any consequences or repercussions, and it's gonna be 100% let that shit out because, like, it's like how the like need I remind you? Like, I'm like, bitch, I'm the one that first went through the chapa eye. <laughs> like, what the like? Well, the first one is like. Go fuck yourself. I defeated Raw. Like, How many system lords have you killed, asshole? Yeah, like, you haven't even been to another planet. Like, who are you talking to? Like, <laughs> I, and like, and it was kind of interesting seeing Colonel um, John Delancey, who is uh, Colonel Simmons. Simmons. Like, he, why was he not in military attire? So I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't know if that's ever. I mean, he. I he bet you it was just John Delancey's. I bet you was just John Leslie saying, fuck that shit, I ain't wearing no military attire. <laughs> yeah, well, it may be, or, you know, he, he works for a, a, a different organization, which we'll find out more about later. Okay, Let's see, but yeah. But yeah, no, that was my favorite quote, too. But there's a lot of good quotes, like, especially oh, yeah. Star Wars, Nine Times, and things like that. But no, just very, very good stuff here. But um, no, that's my favorite my favorite line, too. Yeah, I mean, this is a fun episode. It You know, it... it uh, Picking things to, to make fun of is, you know, it's what we do. But uh, this was in no way painful to watch. 
it, it, it's kind of cliche, you know, the, you know, we make fun of, you know, Sam falls in love with another alien, but I think, at, you know, despite the tropiness of it, I think this is a really good episode. And I kind of made fun of, of uh, Orlin for not having a whole lot of, you know, expression and stuff, but that really worked for his character. Mm-hmm. No, it did work. Cause he's, he's, he was an ascended being. He's so mm-hmm. he kind of just, he has like a wise, infinite knowledge of things. I mean, shit, he created a huge fucking emerald. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, come on now. And so yeah, no, this is this is fine. And if it honestly leads to something else, and it's obviously pertinent for stuff, so I thought it was fine. Just we'll see what happens next, and see what other people Samantha Carter ends up influencing and then killing <laughs> <laughs> due to fate. <laughs> and then next time. The okay. fifth man. Okay, the fifth um, man. Okay, and we'll we'll see more of Colonel Simmons in that episode. Okay, cool. That'll be fun. Yep. So, uh, anything else you want to say about this before we call it a night? No, I think we're good, man. So thank you folks for tuning in. Please check us out at uh, Infinite Potato Alliance on on uh, Facebook, where you can see more uh, of the shows, including Starbase 66 and that Super Fan Talk podcast. Podcast pod pod no T until the end of podcast uh, and uh, Captain Game Show and lots of other fun shows uh, where we have fun and talk about stuff y'all might dig and I think there's like 13 or 14 shows on the network now so it's very worth checking out I have not yet connected uh, the back catalog of Open the Iris to the uh, to the Infinite Potato stuff but I will be doing that really soon I promise. Uh, Maybe even this weekend as we're recording because we've got a four-day weekend. So, yay! And and all that stuff. So, anyway, Ro, thank you so much for joining me again tonight. As always, always a pleasure. And, folks out there, thank you for listening. And we'll be back again real soon to talk about more SG-1. But until that happens, close the iris. Yeah, you remembered. Open the Irish, Irish. Open the open the Irish. <laughs>